Well, hey, Hope City. It's great to be with you today as we conclude our series on John the Baptist, this three-part series looking at his life as a prophet, a participant, and now today as a pariah and prisoner. And the goal is to be inspired by his example. We're not going to be exactly like John, but man, oh man, he did his best to follow after Jesus, represent Jesus, and we want to do that in our own world and in our own way. And today as we talk about John being a pariah and a prisoner, uh, I want to start with a little bit of fun. And what, as you're watching from home, I want you to grab a piece of paper, grab a pen or marker of some sort, and I want you to make a little bracket. As you know, it's Time for March Madness, and, and uh, the madness has begun. So grab a piece of scrap paper and make a little bracket, if you will, with eight spots there. You can do more, but just eight is great. Uh, and, and whittle it down to one. There'll be a picture there on the screen for you to follow as well, if you can't see mine. Now, what you're going to put in these spots are eight things that you really like that most other people do not. Right? What are things that you like that other people hate, they dislike, they're disgusted by? Uh, I will give you eight things that I really like that other people are underwhelmed or disgusted or dislike. And and what we're going to do is play a little March Madness tournament challenge to find the one thing that we could do without the most, right? The thing that we like the most and and we would never give up despite how much pushback or uh, mockery or comments we would get. This is the one thing we're going to hang on to the most. So put eight things On your bracket, I know it's kind of weird to be doing this while you're watching a video, Uh, and if you're driving, I I don't know why you're watching a video, but fill out your bracket as we do this here. I'm going to fill out mine, okay? Now, first, uh, let's see. Here's here's eight things for Sean uh, right out of the gate. Jack-in-the-box tacos. Boom. That's one. I love them. Other people like, Jack-in-the-box makes tacos? That's gross. Uh, What about protein shakes? So I've got tacos versus protein shakes. That's number one. For me, I like the taste of a protein shake. Most people think they taste chalky and gross. Next matchup, we've got Tom Brady. I love the GOAT. I think he's the greatest quarterback ever. I don't mind that he keeps winning. Other people really hate the guy. They just don't like him, right? Uh, going up against, and this is controversial, but that's the whole point of this, I am not against, in fact, I, I appreciate the Seahawks' decision to pass in the Super Bowl on the one-yard line. I don't like the pass. I don't like the pass they chose, but the decision to pass, and that's a much longer conversation than we have time for. But I agree with the decision to pass on the one-yard line. A lot of Seahawks fans would make mockery of me for saying that. Uh, next, reality TV. I, I love reality television. Right? Big Brother, Survivor, uh, Amazing Race, Top Chef. I love reality television. Going up against the Seinfeld finale. The finale of Seinfeld, not a lot of people that were Seinfeld fans really appreciated what it was and, and what it was for. And I just, I, I, looking back and, and appreciating uh, that episode. And the last matchup, Creed, the band. Right? Uh, a lot of people don't like Creed. I like a a few of their hits, and and they're good jams. I turn them up when they're on my phone. Uh, Verse the, and here's one blast from my past, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, the live-action ones with the guys in the suits. Super dark, super cheesy, uh, really bad graphics and and animatronics, but man, oh man, they have a special place in my heart. I don't care what you say. They're going on my list. They're going on my chart. Take a few moments. You can pause if you need to. Fill out your bracket. Put eight things in there that you like, all right? Go ahead and pause and do that. All right. Now that you've done that, 
Now you're going to just choose from each one. And, and my bracket will be up on the screen, but I filled it out. And here's what I've got going matchup to matchup. So I had tacos beating out the protein shakes. I had Tom Brady beating the Seahawks decision because the pain was too much. So I decided to go with Tom Brady. Reality TV, I can't do without that. Got to keep going. And then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they have a, a soft spot in my heart more than Creed ever will. That is my final four. Tacos versus Tom Brady. I'm taking Jack in, the, Jack in the Box tacos. I don't care if it's a mystery meat. They beat the goat. Uh, the reality TV versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I love the, tur the turtles in a half shell, but I'm going with reality TV. Can't live without that. I love that. I don't care if you don't like it. Uh, I love it. So my final matchup is Jack in the Box tacos versus reality television. Drum roll for the winner. And it was reality television to take the win. Uh, the tribe has spoken for Sean. That is my guilty pleasure. That is the thing that I like that a lot of people would push back and dislike and not be for. Now, as you're filling yours out, as you're looking at those things, the idea of this is that there are things that we have an affinity for, things that we like, things that we enjoy that others don't really like, that they find quite polarizing. There is a, an extreme opposition to the fact that you like that. And in John's life, we see that his message, his ministry, his life, the thing that would have filled out his bracket was the message of Jesus being the Messiah. And, and for him, it was extremely polarizing for the people he was around, so much so that it became a social pariah because of his ministry and his message and his life. And that pariah uh, reputation then carried on as he became a prisoner. And as we talk today, I think it's an important thing for us to think about. If Jesus, were filling, if Jesus were on our bracket as the most controversial, love to hate it sort of a thing, right, to, to complete our bracket, am I willing to believe the truth? Am I willing to follow that truth? Am I willing to contend for that truth and share that truth as John did? Even if it's going to lead me to a point of being rejected, social pushback, commentary that isn't comfortable, even having to endure suffering or, or deal with the fact that there could be unfinished business that I don't get to see come to fruition? Am I going to cling to that truth? Because John's example says yes. That's what he does. He clings to this message of Jesus. And he starts out as a pariah. We see this in his, in his life. He's an outcast. He's rejected. He's rejected because of his appearance. He wore camel hair. He ate bugs and locusts and things. He didn't drink alcohol. He had really high standards that he followed. And in fact, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus acknowledged that the people around him rejected John. It says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. Let's repeat that right there. He has a demon. So Jesus is pointing out to the crowds, you looked at John and thought he was so extreme, he was demonic. That's the kind of pariah he is associated as. But it's not just his appearance and his, and his habits, it was his message. He spoke truth to power. And he did it in this way where, man, he brought this message of repentance and he didn't hold back. He cared and was passionate about it. In Matthew chapter 3, we see a glimpse of this message where he's talking to the religious leaders. And this is what John says. He calls them this, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, that, that little paragraph right there that John recites and says, that is an extreme message that is very polarizing. Look at that language. You brood of vipers. You religious leaders, you are a brood of vipers. You're vicious. You're selfish. You're dangerous. He says, you got to produce fruit that's going to keep with repentance. He's calling them out on their hypocrisy. He claims that, you know, this acts of judgment is going to cut down these unfruitful trees. What does that mean? They were clinging to this spiritual security saying, well, we're, we're related to Abraham out of Genesis, so we're good. Our, our eternal security is secure just because of our heritage. And John's saying, no, no, no. No, that is not true. Judgment is coming. If you are not going to be in alignment with the kingdom of God, you're out. And that is a message that was very polarizing, that received pushback. John is rejected by both spectrums here, by those loyal to the empire and those loyal to the temple. And those are two extremes. Those are Republicans and Democrats, right? It is just different extremes here. And John is, is seen as he's too old-fashioned. He's too extreme. He's too religious. He's too anti-empire. In fact, in our current cancel culture time, I think John would have been a daily hashtag on social media as people were, would be wishing for his cancellation. I, I think he would have been on blast on both CNN and Fox News and probably even MSNBC, right? They would have all blasted John as being something that doesn't fit within their box. They would have not liked him because he wasn't bringing this message out of arrogance or being a jerk to people. He was passionate because he was committed to this truth. This is the message of repentance that God has put in his heart to share. We need to turn and repent. And this is not a middle of the road, going to please everybody, make everybody happy type of message. It was a ministry that disrupted and ruffled feathers. He's not silent when he sees hypocrisy. He's not silent when he sees injustice, when he sees religious systems obstructing the very path that he's clearing to prepare for the Messiah's arrival. And they're getting in the way of that. And guess what? He clears that path. And I think just looking at John as a pariah, we have to learn the, the reality is you and I will experience social pushback because of what we believe. We may not feel that all the time. We may feel a little bit more comfortable uh, than, than maybe even we should. But the reality is, from John's example, we will experience rejection, pushback. People won't always like what we believe. They won't always be your best friend. They won't always agree with you. That is a reality that we have to come to terms with. And not be unsettled by, but be prepared for it. The fact that our beliefs and our values can be divisive in our culture is a reality. We believe that there is one God. There is one God, and there is only one way into heaven. That's going to bother people. The idea that humanity is innately broken and evil, and humanity needs to be forgiven— that is going to disrupt people's paradigms. That we need to be people who extend forgiveness. We're people who believe in the uh, importance of prayer and the power of God healing people. Our views and our beliefs and, and our values on marriage and, and caring for the needy, loving our enemies, being generous, laying down our pride and our ego. These are things that some of them, yeah, everybody can get behind, but another group in our culture is going to say, no, I don't like that. And then this group's going to say, no, but I don't like this. We aren't going to be middle of the road, make everybody happy type of people. And we're not doing it out of being arrogant, and we're not, we're not bashing Bibles over people's heads. We're not being mean about these things. But the reality is, is that we believe in the message and teaching of Jesus. 
but it doesn't always fit with our culture. And John's example reminds us to not be bothered by the fact that we will be seen as a pariah, but be prepared for it. In fact, in John's ministry, he goes from being even a pariah to becoming what? A prisoner. That's some next level suffering, to go and be thrown into prison. John spoke truth to power. He spoke to the king at the time and called him out on his sin and said that that's not good. Well, that didn't go over well for John, and he ends up in prison. And as he's sitting in prison, he's got to be thinking this. Gosh, I, I was doing some really good stuff. I was preaching a good message. I had a lot of followers. Uh, I got to see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, and he was going to be the Messiah. And as he's sitting in prison in this darkness, in this despair, in this loneliness, picture that. He's expecting that he prepared the way for this Messiah to come. This new leader was going to come to power, and he was going to get to experience that. And instead, here's John sitting in a prison cell. You ever have a dream that becomes a nightmare? I think that's the reality for John. He had this dream of what all of this could look like. I'm going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And in reality, what happened? It became a nightmare. He's living in prison alone. Some of us had a dream of buying a house and hosting parties and, and barbecues and home theater systems and raising our kids in our home. And then we lost our job and, and, and the house was foreclosed on us. It became a nightmare. Some of us had a dream of starting a, a life group in our home and having community and connection, getting to know people, sharing spiritual lives together, being knit together with the body of Christ, and nobody showed up, and you feel alone. It became a nightmare. You had this dream of starting a family and having little ones and, and, and passing on your heritage and your legacy and your family, and it becomes a nightmare when you find out you can't have kids. Sometimes we have these dreams of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the gospel. I'm going to share my story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my workplace saved for Jesus. I'm going to get my family saved for Jesus. And we have these moments where we build up this expectation of, I'm going to sit them down with my Bible. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. They're going to get saved right there. We're going to go down to the river and get them baptized. And instead, they just look at you with an apathy or a bewilderment or a disgust. And it becomes this nightmare of evangelism. While John is sitting in prison, he tumbles down this spiritual rabbit hole that I think we all can begin to fall in, into when we face difficulty, when we face pushback, when we face rejection, when we face suffering. And John's question here to Jesus that we're going to read in a moment reveals his doubts, his humanity, his insecurity, and his vulnerability. John was human. Luke chapter 7, verse 20, John has sent his disciples to go ask Jesus a question. Here it is. He asked them this. When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who has come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one? Are you the one who has to come, or should we expect someone else? John is sending them as messengers to ask this question of Jesus. But think about, why is he asking this question? While he's sitting in prison, he sends them out. Why is he asking this question of Jesus? He's wrestling internally. As his dream has become a nightmare, he's wrestling with, was I wrong? 
was he really the Messiah? Did I miss something? I connected all of these dots and all of this stuff that I had done and all these people I baptized. I saw the Holy Spirit descend on this man and I thought Jesus was the Messiah. Was there someone else? I mean, think about what John has wrestled. Was I wrong in this? Did I get it wrong? He's wondering, will you make it clear for everybody else, Jesus? Will you just come out and say it like, I am the Messiah. I'm waiting for you to say that. You have yet to just clearly like put it on a billboard, put it on a sign, put it on Twitter. Say something to tell us. Yes, confirm it. Because we've been trying to connect these dots and figure it out. We can't seem to figure it out. Jesus, would you just tell us for sure? Because right now I'm sitting in this spot of difficulty and suffering and loneliness and darkness and I'm wondering, did I get it wrong? And when we're in difficult times, when we're suffering, when it doesn't go as planned, how many of us wrestle with that? Jesus, are you really worth following? Jesus, are you worth, are you the one that I'm supposed to be following? Are you right? Are you the God that you say you are? Are you the truth? Because I'm really confused right now. I need a lot of clarity, Jesus. I need some answers here. Are you the truth that I'm supposed to follow? Are you really the worth, are you, are you the king that you say you are? How many of us have wrestled with that in times of difficulty? Why else John might be asking this question? Think about as you're, you're putting yourself in his sandals, he's thinking, when am I going to get out? I'm in prison. I'm in darkness. I expected a Messiah would have come, right? John is expecting that the Messiah is going to bring about the kingdom of God, and it is now. It is a rule and reign and victory, and it is now. He's not thinking about the eternal kingdom that the Messiah came to bring. You see, Jesus came to bring something so much more than just rule and reign on earth in that moment. He came to bring something eternal. And John is thinking, well, but Jesus, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to set the captives free. Isaiah says you're supposed to set the captives free. I'm a captive. When am I getting out of this? If you're the one, why am I suffering? When am I going to get out? How many of us in difficult times Ask Jesus a similar question. Jesus, if you're so good, why don't you make this better for me? And we want to let go of that truth. We want to let go of Jesus because, gosh, if you are so loving, why am I having to suffer? If you're so good, why is this so tough? Why is John asking this question? What if it's just simply, am I ever going to see it come to pass? I was anticipating. Think of if you're John. John is anticipating. Wow, I baptize with water, but somebody's coming. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the Spirit of God poured out on people. The expectation, the anticipation that John has to see that come to fruition. And John's wondering, I'm sitting in prison alone in this darkness how am I going to see that come to pass? I'm going to miss out on what God is doing. I'm not going to get to see what was promised. That feels like unfinished business. Boxes left unchecked. He's got some serious FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And how many of us, when we're in difficult times, we're going through hard times. 
Why can't I experience the good stuff everybody else is experiencing? Why is it that when I share my faith, it's not as radically transformative as it is for this guy over here? Why is it that when I start a small group, nobody wants to show up? Why is it that when I put myself out of my comfort zone, it just feels uncomfortable? I want good stuff. I want to see the fruit of my labor. I'm tired, God, of doing the grunt work. And I'm left behind to watch everybody else say, Jesus is awesome. You see, it's all of these things that lead us to this point where we want to let go of Jesus. Fine, you're not checking the boxes. You're not fitting in my box. You're not measuring up to what I want. I'll let go. You're not the right one to follow. I'll let go. I'm not going to get out of this suffering. I'm going to let go of you, Jesus. I'm not going to see it all come to pass and make it all good for me. I'm going to let go of you, Jesus. That's what John feels. That's what we can feel. And this is Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7, verse 21. Look at Jesus' response. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is being preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus gives his answer. And the fact that he answers the question, I think he's, there's a sense of compassion there because there were times where Jesus was asked questions and he just didn't answer it. But he answers John's question. And so it shows a compassion to John to say, John, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know what you're going through is not what you expected. This dream became a nightmare. I get it. But look at what I've done. Look at my track record. People are being healed. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raised. The good news is being preached. And John, you know the Old Testament man, right? Jesus is talking directly to John through these messages. John, you know Isaiah. And what did Isaiah say the Messiah was going to do? What did the Messiah's resume include? It included all of those things. Healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, preaching the gospel. So he's saying, here's the track record of my life. Here's the resume of the Messiah according to Isaiah. You connect the dots, John, and tell me what it is. He doesn't outwardly and explicitly say, I am the Messiah. But he does it in this kind of roundabout manner. It'd be like me trying to get you to guess my favorite animal. You want to play a quick game? Let's guess my favorite animal. I got one animal that I just love. Every time my kids ask me, this is my answer. So guess my favorite animal. I'm going to give you some clues, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's a mammal. It swims. It has flippers. It has tusks. It has a mustache of long whiskers. You have any ideas? What are you picturing? I'm not going to tell you, but here's a picture of it. There it is, right? Yes, I didn't have to tell you it was a walrus. You figured it out. You pictured it, right? Without explicitly saying walrus, you came to that conclusion. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing. Without explicitly saying, I am the Messiah, he's connecting the dots for John. And he's saying, I am the one you've been waiting for. You were not wrong. I am the one people are supposed to be following. You're right. Notice, though, and this is an interesting fact that scholars point out, the one thing that Jesus doesn't mention that Isaiah mentions in the resume of the Messiah is setting the captives free. It's almost as if Jesus knows in that moment, John, I don't want to give you a false hope. 
this is where it's going to end for you. I don't want to get your hopes up on this, but I am the Messiah. I'm not going to answer every request. I'm not going to check every box for you. And I think that's what verse 23 is so interesting when he says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus understands that it's going to be hard for people to compute that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. But he's telling John, don't lose faith. Don't trip over me. Don't let go of me. Don't miss out on the kingdom of God because I didn't meet your expectations. How many of us need Jesus to just remind us of that? I'm not answering all of your prayers that you want, but don't let go of me. Don't fall away. I'm not going to follow your plans, John, but don't give up on me. Be faithful. It's almost like the, that, that verse reminds me of just this encouragement to stay faithful and, and hang on to Jesus. It's, it's almost like wedding vows, right? Traditional wedding vows to have and to hold for richer or poorer, sickness and in health until death. And this idea that I am holding on to Jesus. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I am holding on to Jesus whether I'm rich or poor, whether I'm sick or I'm healthy, whether I'm lonely or I'm accepted, whether I'm comfortable or I'm suffering. I will cling to Jesus up until my death. Except death is not the end, it is just the beginning. Death is the beginning of my eternity with Jesus. And unlike the more superficial examples that we gave in our brackets, jack-of-the-box tacos and reality television, when there's pushback, I'll let go of these things. When there, if I were to face rejection and people would leave me over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I will abandon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or I will waver, or I will not get caught up in it. Because why? It's not as valuable to me. These things aren't valuable enough to lose relationship. These things aren't valuable enough to become anxious over these things, to be depressed over these things. These aren't things that are so valuable I'm going to cling to them to the point of losing it all. But you put Jesus on that bracket. And it's a challenge for us to think about, is Jesus that valuable, that much of a priority that he's worth hanging on to. No matter the difficulty that's coming, no matter the pushback we might feel at work or in our home, that we would not give up because Jesus is so valuable to us. You see, the road ahead is going to be unpredictable for us. Nobody knows what's coming. You don't know what this week's going to bring. You don't know what next week's going to bring. The road ahead is unpredictable, but no matter what happens, I want to continue to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to contend for Jesus, to share Jesus. That is my heart, and that is my prayer for us as a church, that we do that just as John did. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, we just pray. Uh, we pray for anybody watching that just in this moment, wants to make a decision to follow you, to say yes to you. Jesus, you love us. You loved us before we loved you. You loved us in our brokenness and in our sin. And right now, we want to say yes to following you. 
Give us a fresh start. Forgive us of our sins. Give us the new beginning, a new life that you promised. God, we love you. Help us to find our hope and our strength in you. I pray for us as a church, God, that you would give us strength to endure difficult times. Social dynamics and difficult seasons that we may face, God, I pray for strength to continue to endure. And I pray for faith to not let go of you in the midst of that difficulty. God, that we would see you at work. We would believe in you. We would hang tight onto you and have the courage to not be afraid of what's coming. Because, God, you love us. And because of that love, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.